Chapter Nine of the Pirate Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pirate Woman by Alward Edward Dingle. Chapter Nine. The Sultana decides several things. There was a moment of cruel amazement for Venner and the others when Dolores had gone. Then Milo, approaching with his irons and chains, awoke the captives to resistance. "'No chains for me, by God!' shouted Venner, crouching to ward off the giant's approach. "'Tomlin! Pierce! Break for the schooner! I'll hold this savage! We shall perhaps fail, but by the powers of justice we'll go down fighting on our own ship!' He sprang at Milo as he spoke, and his friends hesitated. Milo, without haste, without change of countenance, dropped his irons and reached Venner with great deliberate strides. And in that momentary hesitation Tomlin and Pierce were lost with their host, for the giant stretched out one tremendous arm, seized Venner by the slack breast of his shirt, and lifted him from the ground, flailing with both hands like some puny child in the grip of his nurse. Milo spoke no word. He gave no more attention to Venner's futile blows than to the whispering of the sands of the shore. But bearing ever toward the other two men, now seemingly paralyzed out of all volition by the awful exhibition of strength, he reached out with his free hand and added Tomlin to his capture, as he had taken Venner. Pierce might even now have made his bid for liberty, but he was no coward to desert his companions. He uttered a choking cry of mingled fear and defiance and rushed in between his friends to swing a heavy blow with his fist, fair upon the giant's unprotected temple. Now Milo gave a sign of interest. He laughed. A deep, rumbling, pleasant laugh of appreciation for the courage that prompted the blow. But he never blinked at the impact, nor did he attempt to avoid another blow that came swiftly. Simply putting forth a greater effort of muscle, he swung his two captives apart, held them at arm's length while the sinews of his mighty chest and beam-like arms writhed and rippled like snakes, and rushed upon Pierce with the terrible resistlessness of an avalanche. A shower of blows pounded his face and breast as he closed. Then he laughed again, this time triumphantly, for Pierce was enfolded between Venner and Tomlin in a hug that spelled suffocation did he persist in his struggles. The swift conquest had taken but minutes. None but a few women of the camp had seen it, and they, well used to such scenes, simply chattered and smiled pityingly, not with pity for the men, but for the futility of their resistance. Milo, scarcely breathing above normal, called loudly, Pascarette, and gave his prisoners another quieting squeeze. Pascarette was with her mistress. She did not answer, and Milo called again, Pascarette! The other women drew near, and on many a wickedly fair face shone a light of hope that its wearer might serve in Pascarette's place, no matter what the errand, for it was not the petite golden octoroon alone who had sighed for love of the giant. Pascarette is with the Sulcano Milo. Let me answer for her, spoke out a dark beauty whose sparkling eyes held the craft and wisdom of a harpy. I, and I, came other voices and the women gathered round. What do you need, good Milo? Open three chambers behind the council hall, and each must be a fettering ring. Make speed. Go. The women ran, and Milo made his capture more complete. 
Flinging the three men down breathless and numbed from his grasp, he swiftly clapped leg-irons on them one after the other, then stood up holding the long chains together in one huge fist, until the women cried out that the chambers were ready. The bruised and subdued yachtsmen were placed in their separate cells, fettered to great iron rings, and left to cogitate over their probable fate. They were not even permitted the solace of intercourse, but as each grew more accustomed to the gloom inside, he discerned that it was no part of the plan to permit him to hunger or thirst, for a subtle gleam of ruby light shot into each small room from an unseen source, intensifying gradually and touched with its infernal radiance a small tabaret, on which stood a silver flagon, and a dish of the same metal containing meat. Milo went to the great chamber in the cave of terrible things when the doors had closed on his prisoners, and presented himself to Dolores. He found Pascarette prostrate on the floor before the queen, whimpering and sobbing with terror. Over her Dolores stood like wrath in person, her beautiful face distorted with passion, fire blazing in her eyes, her breast heaving tumultuously. In her hands she held a cat of nine tails, a dainty, vicious, splendid instrument of terror, formed of plaited human hair of as many shades as thongs, studded with nuggets of gold instead of lead, and none the less terrible for that, set in a cunningly carved handle of ivory. And as Milo entered she held the whip aloft in a quivering hand, and cried to Pascarette, "'Speak, or I flay thee, traitor! What were thou telling the villain Sancho?' Pascarette whined and cringed. She could not or would not speak. The whip quivered, was about to fall on those dainty bare shoulders, when Milo, uttering a choking cry, flung himself forward and took the blow on his face. Dolores started back, a thing of fury, as Milo cast himself at her feet, his head on the ground, and said with submission, "'Spare the child, Sultana. Let my back bear her penance. She is faithful to thee.' Dolores halted an instant between redoubled rage and mercy. Then she flung down the whip with a hard laugh, seated herself in the great chair, and bade Milo and the girl rise and come to her. "'Milo, thou art a fool,' she said. "'Were thy brain as great as thy great heart, the world might well be thine. I tell thee, child or no child, that chit is woman enough to have bound thee her slave. She is woman enough, too, to hold secret converse with my foes.' Do thou speak to her now, and learn from me what traffic she had with Sancho the morning after I took her as my handmaid. I give thee scant time. If I learn it not swiftly, neither thou nor she shall leave this chamber alive. With her giant beside her, Pascarette's fear subsided in part. She peered up at him shyly, and stepped closer to him as if to seek actual shelter from the storm that threatened her but her frightened dependent demeanour was scarcely in accord with the new light that glinted in her sharp eyes when she dropped them from his face again. There was cunning and craft in them, the brazen assurance of a thief whose conviction is prevented by a lucky mishap. She spoke rapidly for his ears only, and her face drooped in an access of confusion that, beautifully simulated, satisfied Milo and sent a warm thrill into his honest breast. Pascarette says she only gave Sancho his answer. Milo told Dolores. He had demanded her for his mate. "'A pretty tale,' cried Dolores impatiently. "'If that be all, why so fearful of telling me, girl? Why did Sancho, who well knows the price, join Roof against me?' "'I was afraid,' murmured Pascarette, with a pretty shiver. 
she summoned a rosy blush to her piquant face, and added in a still lower whisper, "'Thy anger terrified me, Sultana. My tongue was tied. And Sancho did what he did in rage and jealousy against Milo.' The giant drew himself more erect, and his face became transfigured. If in his great heart there remained any room after his devotion to his mistress, cunning little Pascarette occupied it all when she uttered the half-admission that Milo was her man. Dolores regarded the pair silently. Her expression changed slowly from irritation to query, from unbelief to amusement. And after a moment's reflection she smiled without softness and said, Milo, I would do much for thee. For double-dealing I have no mercy. If thy love-bird would have me believe, if she is aught to thee, bid her seek Sancho and bring him to me. Let her bring him at her own hands before my hunters run him to earth, and I forgive thee both. She has fooled thee. She can fool Sancho. Pascarette lighted up with something higher than hope. It was certainty. And while it made Milo happy, it did not escape Dolores, whose dark violet eyes once again became fathomless pools in which none might read her thoughts. She waved them from her presence, and they went out together, leaving her sitting motionless until the hangings fell behind them. Then she sprang up, ran to a great mirror, and stood for many moments regarding her lovely reflection. Yes, thou art beautiful, she apostrophized. Beautiful is an artist's dream. And for what? to queen it over these beasts, to be called Sultana, and to be in truth a caged eagle. Of them all, who, save loyal Milo, may I trust? Of them all, where is one whose blood mixed with mine could produce aught but devils? Yet I must slink away in the night like a whipped cur, or leave behind these treasures which alone can secure me station in the outside world." She began to pace the great apartment, oblivious of her surroundings, conscious only of a surging rebellion against even the small necessity of biding her time. The day's happenings on the schooner had shown her clearly the explosive condition of her crew. She had no mistaken ideas that for her to load up the schooner and sail away was simple. Further, she detected in recent events a growing unrest among the band, the cause of which she had but begun to fathom. Even now, through the tapestry sounding stone, her keenly attuned ears caught a note in the cries of returning woods, parties that told her how precarious was her sway over some of the more turbulent spirits. Before me they cringe like the dogs they are, she muttered, halting again at the mirror. Behind my back they snap like wolves. They shall have their lesson quickly. Such a one as the boldest of them shall shriek mercy. She gazed intently into the mirror as if she would read therein an answer to her unspoken longing. Then her eyes grew dark and hard, her round, strong chin set stubbornly, and she whispered intensely, Pah! Cattle! They shall not alter my will to seek my rightful place in the world of the white man. What avails it that in my veins runs my mother's noble blood? the red chief's fiery courage, if this nest of soulless brutes is to witness my life and my end. Among those three white men is one who shall release me. They, ah, they are of a whiter, cleaner mold. Theirs is the blood that matches mine. Let them show me which is the stronger. He shall mate with me, 
and I will make him a king, indeed, even in his own land. Dolores stepped back panting. Then she controlled herself and began to put on garment after garment, jewel after jewel, all of superlative magnificence. Every moment she glided to the great mirror, as often she tore off a garment or a jewel, flung it down impatiently, and seized others from her boundless store. At last she stood clad like a fabled daughter of old Baghdad. A robe of shimmering silk reached her ankles, outlining every grace of her splendid figure. Upon her head she had set a tiara, priceless with gems, whose fire dazzled even their wearer, on arms and fingers, ankles and toes, lustrous rings and bracelets made flashing lightning with her every movement. At her girdled waist was a dagger whose sheath could have ransomed a prince. She stood like a statue except for the rise and fall of her breast. Her eyes glittered at her gorgeous reflection in the mirror. Then suddenly her expression changed, her lips parted in scorn, and with a savage, tigerish gesture she tore off her splendors. She stood once more in her simple tunic of knee-length, sleeveless, beauty-revealing, and picking up her dagger with the golden cord, she knotted it about her waist, and again regarded herself closely. And where before she had looked upon a gorgeous woman, royally clad, weighted with gems formed by man's art, now she gazed into the limpid, fathomless eyes of a living goddess, royally clad in her own peerless loveliness, crowned with a wealth of lustrous hair in which the gleams of gold outshone the tiara she had discarded. And her face lighted. A delicate flush overspread her cheeks. The full, luscious red lips parted in a veritable cupid's bow, and she laughed, a rippling, heart-warming laugh that brought the small, even teeth glistening into view. Dolores was satisfied at last. Without further hesitation she hurried along to the rear of the chamber, and emerged into the grove of mysteries by way of a door known only to herself and Milo. From there she made her way silently and darkly toward the council hall. End of chapter 9 Recording by Philip Gould